Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast Extra with me, Adam Gipke, and I've got some new co-hosts to join me. So to the left, or literally to the virtual side left, we've got Andy McBride from the previous episode. So Andy, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I have wine because I'm classy sometimes, and yeah, life is good. Great stuff, great stuff. And to the right, virtually, we've got Craig Rogers. You may recall from the fourth episode of the pod on the Hopeless Wonder. Craig, how are you? I am good, mate. How are you? All things well? Yeah, keeping well. Thank you. And I suppose thank you to the listener because this is our first ever kind of entrance in terms of new co-hosts and just more general chat, really. Um, it's going to be probably a lot of swearing. I'm sure the guys will agree. <laughs> Um, and we're just going to break it up and have a lot more of a general chat in terms of football. Uh, so we've got it broken up into three parts and f- just to introduce the first part. So essentially, all of us are going to spend some time talking about what's on our minds in terms of footballing news, but also any of the games that have caught our eyes. So um, let's start off with some positives. I don't know if it's positive, but Craig, how is Rangers doing right now? Uh, up until about 15 minutes ago, Adam, I would have said Rangers were doing fantastically well, but we've just blown a two-goal lead away to Benfica. Um, you know, all things considered, not a bad result. We've drawn 3-3. Um, but domestically, really, really strong, mate. So we've played um, 13 games. We've won 11, two draws. Um, so really strong start to the season. We're nine points clear, albeit... Celtic have two games in hand, but, you know, as good as you could possibly hope for. Um, yeah, good result. Weekend beat Kilmarnock 1-0 away, which is a huge result. And the listeners and yourself and Andy might be thinking, why is Kilmarnock possibly a big game for Rangers? But <laughs> they've, they've proven to be a bit of a bogey team for us. And it'll be interesting to tell you that since we came back up um, to the top flight after the banter years, we've played Kilmarnock 18 times. We've only won seven. So a bit of a bogey team for us. So to go to Rugby Park at the weekend on their awful plastic pitch uh, and to get away with a victory was was uh, was pretty pleasing. Um, and the rest of the Sunday I spent watching Manchester United versus Arsenal, which I won't speak about because I'm sure one of the other guests will. Um, in great depth <laughs> and vulgar. So I'll skip that one quickly. And then I watched Spurs versus Brighton on Sunday night. Uh, I think Harry Kane's antics are maybe worth a chat. If this is not the first time he's he's um, he's bought a penalty, shall we say? And then Tuesday night watched um, I watched Real Madrid into Milan, which was good because neither team could really defend. Um, nice and exciting game. So yeah, all good, mate. It's been a decent week of football. Um, lots coming up um, this weekend as well. So yeah, it's been good, mate. Rangers are winning. All things are well. Yeah, no, I did see the table and literally even if Celtic are winning their two games in hand, there's still a good three points behind you guys. So um, I think the emphasis is on Rangers to really seal the deal in terms of the Premiership. I don't know how Andy feels, but certainly from my point of view, I think it is certainly Rangers season. Yeah, I, I'll probably say it's getting pretty close. I mean, um, I think when... Um... Rangers won the like uh, over Christmas last year. Like I genuinely thought at that given point uh, they would go ahead and do it. Um, but you know, obviously they had a few awkward results after Christmas. I think they got a little bit ahead of themselves. But I think this year, I think given how Celtic have regressed with by downgrading from Brendan Rodgers to uh, 
uh, you know, repeat Neil Lennon. Um, yeah, I think um, I think it's theirs to lose this year. Yeah, certainly. What? And I mean, something I uh, think we should really bring up to listeners, we were sort of WhatsApping each other around Celtic before hand, and um, it's incredible to think they've got a huge wage bill, but I can't understand how £58 million is being spent on that current squad. It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? How? <laughs> what are they spending that on? Like Steve, or is it Scott Brown's kind of uh, shaving kit? I don't know, but uh, yeah. I don't know. But one one thing's interesting to note, though, um, is that Celtic's next two away games are Motherwell away and Hibs away. So two traditionally tough mm. fixtures. Um, and we've got a couple of nice games at home. So we've already been to Easter Road and Fir Park and Petodrie. So some of our traditionally trickier games um we've all been there and done it so fingers crossed um november's an important month if we can do the business hopefully celtic chip up a few times and that nine points hopefully by christmas will be a little bit further so uh, but you're right you're right to point out celtic's regression i mean there's no there's no real fear there anymore from from ranger supporters and we were quite confident that if we played celtic 10 times we'd win seven um for us now it's about like andy touched on you know, we beat Celtic at Parkhead at Christmas time last year. Then afterwards, we just dropped points at Kilmarnock and Hamilton and some of the sort of lesser teams. And if we can nail that, um, beat the Jobbers, then I think we should be all right. Should be okay. Yeah, and, and I we'll think what's interesting as well. Sorry, Greg, but I mean that as, that squad as well. You've assembled. I think Kamara is doing some really good stuff, and he only cost you fifty k. So you know, in comparison to what Celtic has spent on that squad. I mean, you're showing some real value right now. Yeah, and I think um, there's the well, fifty grand, fifty grand, Glen Kamara, as the famous song goes. Um, but our our midfield three tonight cost a total of fifty grand because we got Steve Davis and Ryan Jack for free. So that's a midfield three that cost fifty thousand pounds. Who you know dominated for last parts against Benfica and uh, you know went away to Braga last year and you know performed well. So the recruitment for Rangers, to be fair. Um, we don't get an awful lot wrong in the, under the Gerard era, so you know, long may it continue. Definitely. And um, let's go into the Tottenham-Brighton game. So um, before we go into Kane's antics, uh, what did you think of Spurs, considering they had a shocker in midweek prior to this weekend anyway? Um, but yeah, they had a shocker in Europe, didn't they? Yeah, 1-0 defeat against Royal Antwerp, who are... There are no giants by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't think Spurs played particularly well. Um, I, th- I didn't think it was a penalty. Them. I don't think that Brighton's equaliser should have stood either. I thought it was a foul on um, on Hoiberg. So I suppose justice was was done. Um, I've got a funny feeling about Spurs this year. They're not not a great team, but you know the way that some of the other big boys are, are playing, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished top four potentially a little bit higher if if Jose can sort them out. So they're not great. Um, but I've got a semi good feeling about Spurs. Reminds me of uh, the old Jose Mourinho style of just winning games and not really doing it with any style or class. So um, I don't know if Andy will reflect on that based on his Man United connection. Well, yeah, I mean, that is standard Mourinho though, isn't it? It's, um, you know, it's not pretty, but it does the job. And I think when you've got, a couple, you know, they don't need to be playing revolutionary football when they've got Gareth Bale, Son, and Kane up front. Um, like they could, you know, 
that work they're intelligent enough players to work it out for themselves, really. And that's kind of how Jose Mourinho has always done it. And I think with the result against Antwerp, like, you know, Jose has always had quite a bit of disdain for the Europa League. I think um, he'd happily sack it. You know, if Spurs were knocked out in December out of the Europa League, it's probably unlikely. But if they were, I don't think they'd be that fussed, especially if they're hanging about in the top four come midways through the season. Am I right in thinking if they win it, though, they'll automatically secure a Champions League place? That is correct, yeah, because that's how United got into the Champions League um, in Jose's first season by winning Europa League. But it's it, it depends on how much of a gamble is that when United won Europa League, there was zero chance whatsoever of finishing in the top four, pretty much. So they put all their eggs into that basket. Um Whereas I think with Jose, I think if it gets to about Christmas and they're in the title race, which anything could happen this season, you just don't know at this stage. Yeah. A decision will come in maybe in February where he goes, right, do I put out a reserve team or am I quite likely to get like a top four? Um, but at the same time, Spurs are absolutely desperate for a trophy. I mean, they'll, they'll take anything. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, they'll take they'll they take need it out. something in that tr- trophy cabinet, don't they? Yeah, anything, even an Emirates Cup, right? Yeah, I mean, so. the Tesco bog roll I've seen um, <laughs> got more in it that, at the moment than Spurs' trophy cabinet. I don't know; it's running it close anyway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on to um, the antics of Kane. So, Craig. Uh, what did you make of it? I mean, to be honest, I've seen him do some of the like antics before, but yeah, this was very obvious, wasn't it? Yeah, it depends on on uh, on which side you are. If you're a Spurs fan, or if you're Jose Mourinho, or if anyone watched the Spurs documentary series, um, Jose was constantly asking him to be nastier, be smarter in games, you know, be sort of aggressive, be dirtier, and be trickier. And I think that's what you're seeing now from from Harry Kane. I think that's that's sort of the embodiment of that. Of Harry Kane sees the player coming, doesn't move, backs into him. Uh, well, he's well, he's in midair and, and wins a foul. Now, if Ladam Lallana's feet are on the ground and he runs into the back of Harry Kane, knocks him over, I have no issue with that at all. But if a player's in the air and you back into him and you cause him to fall on his side or, or towards on his shoulders or his neck, then that's Danger opponent, um, and I think that's that's quite naughty and, and needs to be kind of looked at as well. So the first time he did it, I think it was against Burnley. I think last time I saw him do that as well. Um, mm. But if you're if you're a Spurs fan or if you're Jose Mourinho, you you won't care. You'll be saying that's what I want. Do it when the free kicks. Be smart. Um, but I think there's a difference between being clever and buying a fill and you know potentially injuring an opponent because I don't think it's a penalty either because there's only one player they're looking to play the ball. Um, yeah. And, and Harry Kane plays the man rather than putting the ball and, and it ends up on his knees. He waits for the contact, his knees fold um, and he wins a penalty. So, depends. If it's, a, fan, yeah. it's a mixture of both, isn't it? Like, you know, if you're playing like Sunday League, you wouldn't go down in a million years, but it was a mixture of being clumsy. And unfortunately, that's what players are encouraged. I mean, Salah did it yet again over the weekend. Um, they just know that the slightest bit of contact they'll go down and it's somewhat justified to a point as much as it's horrible because you've seen players stay up and they're not given anything so they're kind of like well what's the point like 
Yeah, I think that's just a wider issue in the game, unfortunately. Yeah, I think personally, it does make you question what VAR is there for. And I know we'll probably cover it in another pod in some episode, but it's just one of those where you think, right, VAR is just not really serving the purpose right now and it's destroying the game. But then also you question what the referee's thinking at that time as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, is it the execution of VAR? Uh, like, you know, because the VAR technology itself can be useful, but it is, I think it's a referee's interpretation of it. Um, and that's maybe making a bit of a difference. Because you do see some things, I think a good example of it being used um, was, uh, for example, in the, I think the PSG game the other night, you know, they looked at the an absolutely horrendous tackle and they've gone, yep, you're off. Um, and I think for stuff like that, it does make a difference. Um, but it's, again, referees choosing not to go to VAR when they should and all that, because I think it all stems from the referees not using it properly because you don't see many complaints over in Germany and they've been using it a season longer than we have. It doesn't seem to be as much of an issue in Italy. Um, it just seems to be ourselves that has the issue with it. Well, what I would say, though, uh, VAR is never going to really help Man United, especially from that defensive uh, kind of clearance that you did for Denver. So, uh, Andy, let's just bring bring you across to uh, Man United. <laughs> that's, that's a horrible nicely. way. That's a horrible way to be bringing that in. Christ almighty. Where um, was the defence for that one? I think they were just social distancing in advance of Thursday, to be honest. Um, like, they were more than two metres apart and, you know, didn't interact with people outside of their dressing room. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just like, it's it's schoolboy stuff. And the fact was, it's probably an insult to schoolboys, to be honest, because I don't think they'd be that bad either. Um, I mean, a 35-year-old Denver bar leaving him one-on-one with a clean run at goal. And then you've got the slowest guy on the pitch in Nemanja Masic. He's the one who's trying to catch him. I'm like, That's what? what was, uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say I, that. I mean, that. I, yeah, it's just like, out of all the people to try and run him back, it's like, why is he the one doing it? And you've got Mike Feeling, the assistant coach, going just before the goal, going, someone run back, someone run back. Um, and they, in the end, the slowest guy on the pitch decides to do it. It's just... Um, it's just really disappointing because, uh, like, you know, on the one hand, you know, we had a couple of really encouraging re- results against uh, PSG, you know, good result against uh, Leipzig as well. In fact, it was a great performance, best of the season, uh, that 5-0. And then just to put in such listless, shite performances against Arsenal, who, you know, despite the fact we've been terrible largely since Fergie left we've always been able to get one over on Arsenal especially at Old Trafford like regardless of whether it's Van Gaal you know even back in the Moyes days we'd always be good for a result against Arsenal and it was one of those games yet again where there's you know Arteta did his own work he knew that you know you probably watched a Leipzig game knew that the diamond would work knew that um or they would go, you know what, this diamond stuff works. Let's try this together. But, you know, diamonds aren't forever, um, clearly. <laughs> I, I had to get a little James Bond reference for obvious reasons at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's it's just the same old. It's just like, 
United have always been good on the counter-attack. That's not really changed. But as soon as a team with a clear, defined defensive structure just sits back and goes, right, break us down, um, we can't do it. There, there just doesn't seem to be any sort of pattern of play. It's, um, you know, it's kind of relying on the tactic seems to be rely on, rely on Fernandez to do a Hollywood pass and hope one of the fast guys gets to it and hope they produce a bit of magic. Um, that seems to be the only real defined structure, you know, whereas if you look at like, um, if you look at Arsenal, they try to build patterns, you know that everyone's in, the, everyone's where they're supposed to be positional wise in transition. They know where they're supposed to be. And it just seems to be relying on too much spontaneity. And I was watching it with my housemate who, who's unfortunately an Arsenal fan. So that was um, a giggle. Nice. Uh, nice. I mean, I do think Gabriel should have been sent off. Um, you know, he was, especially in the second half, clear foul that anywhere anywhere else on the pitch, or had he not been on a yellow, would have got a yellow. But because he was already on a yellow, he didn't get another one. And I was like, I mean, maybe it might not have made a difference in the grand scheme of things, but I do felt they were giving Rashford a bit of a kick in. But yeah, it doesn't excuse the performance. Like, it was just absolutely shocking. And poor Pogba is just, oh, it's just a waste of oxygen. <laughs> These are I don't absolute... know about you, though. Uh, Craig and me have spoken quite a lot in the past, but since I, I think around the Tottenham game, really. But Luke Shaw, where was he for the second goal? Like, and even on that first goal, he was highlighted as being in the box. I mean, that's... a left back in the. But box. that's that's not like, that's what is he doing? But that's standard Luke Shaw. Like, if you go back to the uh, the Tottenham game. Um... You know, he was always he he was never where he was supposed to be. He was either too high up the pitch and not getting back, or literally smack bang in the middle of the penalty area. And he's going to be as battle useful as a chocolate fire guard because he's a bloody midget. Um, so I don't really know. What's wrong with Tellers? Where's still a left back? Is he injured? No, well he's got corona. So um, yeah, I guess oh, really? you would technically count that as an in. Yeah, so that's the reason why he hasn't played because. But they, <laughs> yeah. it took it took a while for the club to come out because communication is not exactly a strong point at Old Trafford, um, especially when it comes to their socials. <laughs> um, so, we, yeah, it was only about a week later after he didn't play against Chelsea. He didn't play against Arsenal. I wasn't in the squad for um, the game yesterday. They were like, okay, he's got Corona. He's had to self-isolate for a couple of weeks. He's not quite fit yet. Because um, I think after the international break, I think, you know, Sure, shouldn't have to, shouldn't be playing another minute of football again. Um, maybe apart from the Carabao Cup, but yeah, it's just like I say, it's just emblematic of Luke Shaw. Like he he can look okay sometimes, but he's been there for about six years now and doesn't even look close to being. Um, I mean, to put it into context, Gareth Southgate would rather play an out of position right back in the left than pick Luke Shaw. I think that tells you everything you need to know about yeah. him. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, Teller's in the first, in the one game he's played, looked class. Um, you know, he actually puts the ball in that beats the first man. You know, I think Luke Shaw did it yesterday, but that's the first time in about five years. So, yeah, it's, um, it's just one of a number of positions that aren't there. Um, but he's not the biggest problem in the squad. You know, there's people still making fucking excuses for Paul Pogba four years later 
it's yeah. just it's just if you're I saw it on Twitter the other night going, Oh, it's all these tactics, oh the other team aren't playing to his strength, oh he'll stuck out on the left, it's just it's this, it's this, is this and you know, Popa comes out after the game and goes, Oh, I was tired. I was like, what fucking excuse is that? I'm like I'm sorry, but you're tired is not an excuse for losing the ball, being out of position. And even if you are tired don't just stick your leg out in a bloody penalty box. It's just, I mean, the man's yeah. a bloody World Cup winner in an alternate universe, it seems. <laughs> and he's just there, like, doing really, you know, really such basics of just sticking your boot out. Like, it was the most stonewall penalty I think I've seen all season. Um, lazy, and, lazy tackle. Really yeah, just criminal. Yeah. And that's the thing, though. You never seem to see him at full sprint. Um, and the people defending him going, oh, everyone's just attacking Pogba. You know, what about the other players? But not, you know, most of that first 11 didn't cost 80 odd million pounds was our record signing or, you know, near 100, depending on who you believe. But, you know, he was our record signing. And uh, another thing that annoys me, people whip out his stats from the 2018-19 season where Mourinho got sacked and then Solskjaer took over, where he had the best stats for assists and chances created and stuff like that. In reality, he had three good months uh, between sort of December and March when Solskjaer first came in, and then just um, World Cup, you know, and then you know he had his head turned yet again and decided he couldn't be asked. Um, like honestly, if Real Madrid turned, if I was owner of that club, Real Madrid turned up tomorrow when his, I don't know, sixty million quid, but like, yep, thanks, bye. Because he just, you know, he's not the only underperforming player, but you know, it's, it's just four years of excuses as far as the fan base are concerned uh, for him not to be delivering at all. Um, yeah. He doesn't, you know, how many managers are United going to go through? Till people go, well, actually, maybe he's the problem or part of a problem. So, yeah, it's him. I think at the moment with United, they've just got too many big players out of form. You know, Harry Maguire's had a difficult start to the season. Uh, Luke Shaw's not playing well. Um, you know, Solskjaer doesn't seem to know his best defensive lineup. It's Baye one week, it's Lindelof one week, it's Twansabi one week. I mean, I'll give him a bit of, you know, he's excluded really because he was out injured for 10 months. So he's going to have a few ups and downs like last night when you're stopped after 45 minutes. Um, you know, up front, he doesn't seem to know the best combination. It's, um, you know, Marshall's only just got his first goal of the season yesterday and he doesn't know his best midfield. Um, no. But I struggle to believe that when you've got Pogba, Van der Beek and Bruno Fernandes um, and you need to go out where and win a game, that sticking Fred and McTominay in midfield is a really good idea. Um, to the point even against Arsenal, like how why was Matic bought on? Why, out of all the players that you could bring onto a football pitch, like, you know, what you're playing at? Um, and I think that's always been a problem with Solskjaer is that his in-game management has always been poor. Like, you know, as much as uh, people would criticise Mourinho, he had the balls to make a substitution after 20 minutes. Like, yeah. yesterday, yesterday against Istanbul, that is a sort of game where you make a statement and go, right, you're coming off after 20 minutes. You're coming off after half time. Um, go and sort it out. Um, 
uh, yeah, and I think you, you're looking 18 months down the line and, you know, Solskjaer's done some good work there. Um, there's a bit, you know, there's been a lot of work done in the background of the youth academy. We're starting to get a few more prospects come through. He's got rid of quite a lot of the deadwoods. So Smalling's gone. Granted, he's doing well at Roma. Sanchez, you might have to get rid of Sanchez. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of players that, you know, Pereira, another example, you know, he decided he didn't want them. He didn't fit into the club. And then he's obviously um, got rid. But tactically, he's very far behind the other teams in the Premier League. Because unfortunately, what's happened over the summer is other teams are strengthened. And we've kind of regressed a little bit. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think Paul Pogba is a luxury player and a team that can't afford any luxury players is, from yeah. a neutral point of view. Yeah. Yeah, if you play world-class players with him, he performs great. That's why he does well for France. That's why he did well for Juventus. But we ask him to be the main man, take the balls by the horn, so to speak. It doesn't work. No. And playing that... Go on, Dylan. No, I was just going to say, it's not working, is it? And for a while, it hasn't been working. We We spoke quite religiously about Pogba, and I didn't get it personally. I don't get what he brings to that squad. Um, but I, I think it's just evident right now that he doesn't care. He really doesn't care. And I know we joked about the tweet that your friend put out that said he could merge <laughs> your family and there'll be people defending yeah. him. But it's so true. Right now, he does not care. And there's people that will back him to the hill. So yeah, he's better off out. I mean, yeah, United, I mean, the Man United Twitter is quite a toxic place at the moment. It's like you've got, you know, People, you've you got people who are like, are they out? You've got people you seem to support players more than they do the actual club, <laughs> which is a very strange concept. Mm-hmm. But this is Manchester United for you, where it's just, and it's just constant. Some of them, yeah, like, you know, he could literally shoot your family and you'd be like, yeah, but it's poor Papa, it's fine. Um, yeah. Crazy, it's, isn't it? it's like I said, it's, it's only got a year. Oh, he's what is it? A year or so left in his contract. Uh, I think so. Next summer they've got to make a decision, and you know, I think they'll make a decision before that. Well, hopefully, (laughs) well, hopefully, yeah. But if it, you know, he's done nothing to warrant an extended contract. Uh, Given his agents, Mina Riola, there's no way he's going to sign on the same terms he's got at the moment. He's good. He's going to be wanting Sanchez money, Um, and. There's, you know, there's nobody that in that. Squ- no, there's nobody in that squad deserving of 400k a week, um, and he's certainly, certainly not him. So, Qu- yeah. Quick question for Craig here: What do you think of Smalling at Roma and how he performed last season? Yeah, uh, Andy, Andy might disagree with this because he's seen Smalling before that. I think, just based on what Smalling's performances were last year, I think Chris Smalling would be your best centre half right now. Yeah. I agree personally because I think he's got the experience, he's got the pace. He's also become became a vegan as well recently, so he's granted, actually trimmed himself. He is looking really good right now. Granted, Serie A is a slower league, granted, but he but he has played against some some good strikers, and, and the Romans love him. Absolutely, could not wait to get him back. Um, I think he definitely beats Lindelof or um, Bailey into that team. Um, and I think on form, 
you'd, you'd maybe have more of a Maguire short term, maybe not long term. But I think he'd, I think, I think he'd probably get, do, a, do a job for United right now. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I mean, Smalling, as a defensive player, has always been really, really good. Like, one-on-one, he's a very, very good centre-back. He's good in the air. Um, I think the reason why, you know, he didn't really get picked for England, and obviously Solskjaer wasn't too keen on him, is that he wasn't very good at playing out from the back. And with teams that play a very high press and a lot more aggressively, which tends to happen in the Premier League, he was a little bit vulnerable there. Um, but you're right. I think given the form of the centre backs at the moment, I think the are in the years he probably would be starting. Uh, so okay. I can see why you, I can see why United let him go because uh, they wanted you know more ball playing centre backs, and I can see they wanted to go in a certain direction. He just didn't fit in it. But I think in terms of pure defending quality, I think you're right. At the moment, he would get in the team. Can I just I ask, probably... Vidic wasn't a ball-playing footballer, but he, he still did a great job for United, didn't he? Yeah, but I think the difference then is that we could afford that because you had Rio Ferdinand next to him. You had world-class left-back, world-class right-back. You had world-class centre-mids. You didn't need to be a particularly good passer of the ball, uh, really, because uh, he was surrounded by players left, right and centre. All he had to do was make a 12-year pass and there'd be somebody who could do it for him. Um, Isn't that the argument here that potentially he's not that type of player, granted, so maybe it's the players around him that need to shape up or move out? Yeah, I think it's... I think, like I said, it's too many fires to fight at United at the moment. You know, it's not like it's just one pub. It's not like it's just the manager. It's not like it's just one player or two players. It's... um, you know, if United change a manager tomorrow, they've still got the same issues on the pitch. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's questions that require lots. There's not a clear solution really as to where United go. So let's play a game of jumping to conclusions. Then let's see. <laughs> let's see. My United lose at Everton on Saturday, then Oli gets sacked during the international break. Who do you want in? Ooh. Mm, I think given who's available, um, I'd probably say like Pochettino, to be honest. I think, all right, people, the first thing people would say would be, well, he's won sod all um, at Spurs. But, you know, he, he worked under a similar set of circumstances. Like, he, he did, in fact, he, they went almost two years without actually signing a single player. Um, and one of his good strengths, he plays an attractive brand of football, which I think will appeal with the fans. He he can get more out of the players that are already there. So I think, you know, it's fair to acknowledge United just spent a lot of money, but they spent a lot of money badly. Yeah. Um, so I think part of his brief, if he comes in, will be not, you know, he's not going to go in and go, I need another five hundred million pounds. He'll go in, cool, I, I might be able to improve the players that are already there. Because so I think the squad that United have got, despite the fact there's problems, they shouldn't be 15th in the table. They should be a lot, lot higher. And we should be beating teams like Arsenal at home. We should be beating, you know, Brighton more convincingly than we did. We shouldn't be getting slapped 6-1 by Tottenham. So I think um, tactically, um, I'd be, to be honest, I'd be up for a, a different alternative, which is move um, Solskjaer to more of a director of football model and put uh, Pochettino in the coaching role. That would be my personal way of doing it. 
What about you, Craig? What do you think? Personally, as a neutral, I don't have a dog in this fight. I think the job's too big for Pochettino. Uh, and I think he needs to be really, really careful. Because I think if he goes to Man United and fails, I think he's might be done in England. Um, I think Massimano Allegri should be your man. Not a massively attractive style of football, but knows how to win. Won multiple titles with Juventus. I think he'd probably better. But you're probably not going to get a manager in during the season. But what I'd be saying is you probably want to tap up a manager, Poch or otherwise, from January. Understand that he's coming in and start working with that guy of who do you want, who do you not want, who should you be signing, building it, so that when this guy starts in June, um, you're ready to go with, with the signings already already established, because what you don't want is to appoint a new manager in June and then start working on targets. A lot of that background work has to be done from January onwards. But that's, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think in terms of targets, I mean, United, the way United conduct the transfer window is basically a laughing stock of all the football, basically. But I think there's an argument to suggest that, you know, get the coach in now because the problem you have is if you leave it to the end of the season and we don't finish top four maybe not even in the Europa League the, the calibre of players and even the calibre of manager you might be able to attract slowly dim- diminishes um, and the Glazers have always been very reactionary is that as soon as top four starts looking a little bit dodgy they'll pull the trigger and I think if United lose against Everton on Sunday they need to make a decision they either go, fine, we're just going to ride it out. It might get worse before it gets better and just go, right, you know, doesn't no matter what, we're going to get through it. Because uh, if we did go through a sticky stage last season as well, or they go, there's an international break, get somebody else in and kick on for the rest of the season. But it's a gamble at the end of the day. There's no guarantee that Pochettino or Allegri or whoever would come in and have an instant effect. That's true. Oh, That's true. Yeah. What do you What do you think, Adam? Allegri knows Pogba from Juventus. Yeah, I I thought before you said it, I thought Allegri as well, just purely because the style of football won't be amazing. But then, was it amazing with Fergie? No. And you know what? He's a winner. He can win things. He's taken Juventus to Champions League final numerous times, and that was even with squads where he didn't have any money. He just, you know, he had just free transfers at the time. And just referring to his time at AC Milan as well, he did amazing yeah. stuff with that squad as well. So, yeah, I get why you would probably say, you know, Pochettino for the style of football, what he could bring to the players, you know, he'll get them believing again, potentially. But just what Andy alluded to is you've got too many personalities in that team that are just doing it for themselves. Allegri would beat the shit out of it. And he would just get the, <laughs> yeah. the proverbial shit out of it. And he would not take any crap from them. And that's the difference. I think Pochettino, you kind of saw a little bit of, I don't know, just he he kind of tried to feed the egos a bit at Tottenham, I felt. Um, and I don't feel like he had a grapple of the situation towards the end of his time at Tottenham. And that for me is a worry because you think, could he struggle when he's faced with an even bigger task at United, whereas Allegri's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and he's proven to be a success. So, uh, again, for someone that's on a free, no-attached club, I think it's a no-brainer as well. Yeah, I think it's... um, Because the only other way I think United would do it is if they got somebody in short term again. But, 
you know, I think the only, I think for entertainment value, I think Roy Keane should go in there, give it to him to the end of the season. Like, it might not be overly, <laughs> oh, su- it might not be overly successful, but fuck me, it would be entertaining. <laughs> now that as long I as would he... pay fourteen ninety nine a week for. That's <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You the Amazon cameras in there filming that, just <laughs> Roy Keane kicking the shit out of Jesse Lingard every week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it would be absolute, it'd be absolute comedy gold. Um, it's, yeah, it's. Um, but I think you know, aside from, I think whatever manager they get in, though, they're going to have to sort out the upstairs. You know, they can't have mm. Ed Woodward going. Yeah, I know about football. I, I think Fred's really good. I'm going to pay fifty million quid. Like, fuck off. Um, yeah. <laughs> He, he just needs to disappear out of public view. They need football people above the manager uh, because num- if Allegri goes in there or Pochettino or any other manager, because Van Hal, Moyes, um, Mourinho, I guarantee the moment you stick uh, Solskjaer on Monday Night Football, when, as and when he gets sacked, he'll have a few things to say about didn't get the targets that they wanted and things weren't quite right because signing Cavani on transfer deadline day and two 18-year-olds, one of them that can't play until January, uh, I don't think was Solskjaer's idea of what he wanted for the summer. No, I get that. I get that. Anyway, Andy, how was that for a therapy session? Do you feel a bit better for it now? Or I wouldn't say I feel better, but I've got, I've got alcohol, so I'll be all right. Fine, sorted. Well, I'm just going to quickly put it out there. Wickham Wanderers, my team, have won a second consecutive match. Amazing. Congratulations. So we're off the bottom, proverbially. Um, It's interesting. I saw some stats anyway. In our first sort of 10 games, we've played the top five as they stand right now. Uh, Three of them being Reading, Swansea and Norwich. So, you know what? Despite the fact that we were going on this run of losing consecutive games, actually we're potentially playing the top three, top five in our league right now. So that's interesting. And I think the Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday match was a real big six-pointer for us that I'm glad we won, especially given that yesterday evening they had their points deduction halved. So they are now in points rather than being deducted. So that's interesting. But I suppose the focal point for us has been the beast, Akin Fenwa. He's come back into that squad, got us the impact in terms of results. And um, yeah, I didn't think I'd be saying that we're trusting on a 38-year-old to kind of bring it for us. But and, do you know Andy, what? He's amazing. And if you listen really carefully, you can hear the sound of Adam clutching straws. <laughs> oh, we've, we've, played, we've played the top five. I can think it's thirty eight. We're going to be okay. The jokes are will be it. okay. <laughs> it reminds okay. it reminds me of that gift where someone sat in the burning house going, "This is fine." <laughs> <laughs> jokes That's are harsh now. That's harsh. Con- yeah, congratulations, congratulations. Listen, I don't care. Even if we do go down. <laughs> We are loving this, absolutely <laughs> loving it. And you know the best bit about it? We're winding up fans that really didn't like us going up last season. Um, just to paint a little bit of a picture, the Peterborough Telegraph have posted a um, piece that said we're stinking out the championship and we don't deserve to be there. This is last week's edition. We're not talking about a few months ago. They are still bitter about that. So... Um, 
from that point of view, fuck you, Peterborough. <laughs> anyway, Plus, um, as if as if Peterborough would be doing any fucking better if they got promoted. Like really, they'd be getting slapped about every week themselves. <laughs> I do not give a shit now. Uh, but I'm I'm really happy. I don't care. They can carry on as they are. So um, we've got two wins, which everyone kind of thought we might not get any wins. So you know what. I'm loving that. And do you know what? I think we've got the chance to even win more games. Like I say, so we've got two. So we just need another 21 and we're sorted. We're going to survive. So, um, yeah, let's bring it on. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to actually touch on two other points. So quickly, Borussia Mönchengladbach, they had an amazing 6-0 away victory at Donetsk. And it got me thinking, do we think this is a team on the up? Because and I'm going to tell you why. Marco Royce, who's the manager, came from Salzburg, done amazing last season. They finished fourth in that league and they haven't got any household names, but they have got an interesting front line right now. And in particular, Marcus Turam. So for those listeners that may recall, his dad is Lillian Turam. So um, interestingly, Marcus is up front and he's doing the business right now. Um, Craig, you've seen a lot of Bundesliga. Have you seen a lot of uh, Mönchengladbach? Yeah, really a good team. And interestingly, um, young Marcus has been called up to the French squad. Um, so following his father's footsteps and playing for the French national team. So congratulations to him. They are they're a really good team. And Marco Rosa is one of the, the guys that you and I sort of fanboy over. One of those young German coaches. Um, are they good enough to topple Bayern Munich? Of course not. But they've, they've sort of taken the, the place of maybe a, a Leverkusen or... Um, sort of Hertha, some of those teams is a sort of big four challenger in in Germany, and there's something there's something sort of about them this year of a could they could they make a run? It looks as though they're going to probably qualify from the group. Um, it looks like over Inter, so it looks like it's going to be a, maybe a Real Madrid um, Gladbach um, qualification there, and then who knows a favourable draw they could potentially go further. But good team, Marco Rosa is definitely destined for bigger things, and I think if there's any Premier League clubs. Um, sort of mid to, to lower Premier League clubs looking for a change, then they could do a lot worse than, than him. Yeah, definitely. I mean they've been doing they've been doing well for over a year. I mean if you look at Christmas last year, they were near the top of the Bundesliga, um, and they've got you know they've got play they've got they've, they've bought really really well in terms of um, you know players over the years. Like the recruitment seems to be on point. Like Denis Sakaria, um, he's he's one that's been linked with various moves aboard. You know tough sort of all action midfielder. Um, you know, I think the other strike they've got, Alexander Player, you know, another good, you've got Matthias Ginter, Christoph Kramer, you know, they're in about the German squad. I mean, Christoph Kramer's a World Cup winner. Um, they've they've done sort of really good, you know, they've sort of kept it under the radar quite well. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's not really that much of a surprise. And I think there's not really that much of a gap between, um, you know, if you go, if you go below... Um, Dortmund and Bayern, I think it only really takes a couple of seasons of good recruitment to get yourself in the top four yeah. over there. Um, so, yeah, I think there could be um, sort of um, wild cards. Definitely. Yeah. I feel there'll be the uh, Leverkusen potentially in the coming few seasons, as long as they keep their players together, of course, because I think Marcus Turam could be off potentially this summer if he continues to have a great season. So, um wait and see on that one 
But finally, guys, I wanted to reflect on something that I thought was quite funny is Barcelona and the debacle down there. So um, <laughs> you guys have probably seen Bartomeu, the uh, president, obviously resigning just because he was threatened with a vote of confidence. But essentially, he spilt the beans that Barca have signed to the principle of the European Premier League as well, which I thought was... Um, yeah, quite interesting. But I think the biggest thing to come out of Barcelona is the reports that they need to cut 170 million in wages. <laughs> yep. And uh, the players have been asked to take a 30% pay cut. I mean, but they've yeah, already taken pay cuts. They have, yeah. They took it. They're, they're a fucking car crash. So they've apparently, the rumour is, they are agreeing to take pay cuts in exchange for longer contracts. So what you're, what you're going to find is you're going to find is you'll get Sergio Busquets on slightly less money but given a, a new four-year deal, which just sounds totally counterintuitive. Just a, one for the listeners. I read this week that Barcelona have had their worst start to a season since you started getting three points for a win. That's how bad it is in, in Barcelona right now. Um, but you, Ronald Coleman, wasn't long-term, but fucking hell, they are, they are rough. Yeah, and it's hard to see how they're going to pull it out of the bag as well. 12th in La Liga, two wins, two draws, two losses, goal difference of plus four. And Real Sociedad are top of La Liga, by the way. It's not Real Madrid. Yeah, it's... Go on. I'm just going to say, Lionel Messi hasn't scored from open play since the restart. So you I mean, can that's, see not he's... that's not a surprise, is it? He literally looks like he can't be fucked. <laughs> he's, checked, he's totally checked out, yeah. Yeah. But does anyone think Griezmann looks so odd in that squad as well? He's just not... He... Yeah, I don't know. Well, again, it's for. one of those, like, he doesn't want to be there, but Messi still runs the dressing room. It's, you know, the worst thing that Barcelona... The worst thing that Butterman did doing that stupid power play of which achieved absolutely nothing by not letting Messi go. Because, you know, if he, if in a different scenario, let him go to City on the free, get his wages off the books. It's a big ego off the books and you get a little bit more control of the dressing room over there. Um, and that's always been the problem at Barcelona is that the dressing room runs that football club. You know, because how I mean, they've they've been off Saitan, uh, where I think there was that clip of fa- Messi famously ignoring him. Um, I think by all accounts, he doesn't seem to have that much regard for Kuman either, because he bombed out Luis Suarez the first chance he could get. Um, yeah, it's going to get worse for them before it gets better. And the weird thing is, they've got a really good youngster in Atsu right now. Oh, he's and fantastic. They're trying to bomb him out as well, by sounds of it. They're trying to get the suitors to kind of splash out the big money on him. And that's probably the wrong strategy right now. I'd have him as your focal point and just, like you said, get rid of Messi. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, he'll be what, gone next year what anyway. We all love about... Yeah, and what we, what we all loved about Alex Ferguson was that he recycled teams and he understood when a team came to the end of its cycle, planned for that and brought in new blood and, and continued that cycle. And it feels like Barcelona are about three years too late on this cycle and should have started this planning, this contingency planning about three years ago. And I think Lionel Messi, who's getting peaky, are the last of that group that Barcelona need to let go and, and plan for the future. And I think by having these guys in choker up the wage bill, they're feeling the pain of that now where they can't go out and spend. That combined with some abysmal transfer business has put them in a real hole. Definitely, definitely. 
Anyway, guys, we're moving into part two. So part two, just to introduce the listener, we're going to talk about how the government have dealt with lockdown, but in particular, how that's affected the game itself. And I thought there's some really interesting points, but especially even today, um, the Minister for Sports and Health kind of said he can't let the sort of lower league games open up because that'd be going against what we're all trying to achieve, which is a national lockdown. And do you know what, guys? I've had enough of it. It's just, yeah, it's screwing us up right now. But I don't know, like, Craig, you even mentioned on a tweet more recently that lower league ground that you've been to recently has better COVID measures than some shops. So um, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, you know, big up. It was revealed. There was a, a little local non-league team who play in the ninth tier of English football and they've spent a lot of money on sort of signage, hand sanitizers, one-way systems. They've got it all and it's they've done really, really well um, and they're not allowed to stay open. And when you see cinemas hosting screenings of Premier League games where people are, you know, a metre apart, two metres <laughs> apart inside a, inside a closed arena, why can you not have 200 people at an only game where we can socially distance uh, and keep keep ourselves safe? It just seems crazy. And I think if the government had a reliable track and trace system and you could accurately track where transitions were happening, you could probably narrow it down and say, okay, that industry has to shut, that industry can stay open, this industry must improve. But at the moment, there's a rise in cases. No one can really tell where it's coming from. Um, so everyone's tarred with the same brush of a national lockdown and it's, these non-league clubs are really going to suffer because they don't have Premier League money, they don't have um, TV money, they don't have merchandise money. All of their money comes from sort of matchday revenue. And I think they're, I think before the end of the year, we're going to see non-league probably up to League 2, maybe League 1, quite a few clubs go to the wall because they can't have fans in on matchday. Correct. And do you know what? It's even, I suppose coming to a point where you've got someone like Robbie Savage, who, by the way, I don't really like his stuff in general, but he had a really good point, which is he's got a boys team, for example, that he looks after, but they can't even do like a Sunday league match with the boys because at grassroots, they're not allowed to be together. And do you know what? It's getting to a point where we're just all going to come to a point of just ignoring what's going on by the government and just taking the risk because right now it's just getting to a point where how many other industries are we going to suffer or just see collapse because of stupidity in terms of how we're running this country? It's just it's just an absolute joke. It's just like they go to business. They go. They went to sports. Like when the first lockdown happened, they literally went right. You can have sports back if you do. If you invest some money in making sure it's all COVID secure. You do this. You do this. You do this. Like literally, have test events. Everything that the government said we needed to do as a football industry, we've done. Yeah. There's nothing we haven't done. They said you needed you need to test your players two or three times a week. We've done it. You need to make games for available for broadcasts. We've done it. You know you need to have an effective track and trace inside your club and stay in your own bubbles. We've largely done it, with the odd exception. You know we've done everything we're supposed to do. Um, but you know, again, maybe it's a bit of a generalisation, but our current government have zero fondness for football whatsoever, and it. Or oh, zero understanding of yeah. the impact of the how important football is across the country. You can bloody tell. 
Uh, they, oh, yeah. they don't they don't have a clue. I mean, even in my um, five side games, I've been playing uh, quite a lot. Like you don't even get in the you don't even get in the fucking building unless you've got your app out, you've checked in, you've shown them that you've checked in, so you've got your details. You've you've uh, sprayed five pints of hand sanitizer on your hands, and you have to go straight up the one way and sit outside in the freezing cold. And then you know you can't even go in the changing rooms, and they're shut in. I'm just like, well, why? You can't. You know, they have all of these measures in place to prevent transmissions and yet they're still like oh close anyway it's just um but yeah you know, if you, you know and that's just that even at that level it's pointless but yeah for the national league clubs and the league one and league two clubs it's um horrendous because obviously the you know the premier league are clutching their purse strings for political reasons the government you know despite it being uh, their fault that football has stopped because it's not the Premier League's fault; it is the government. You know they're doing for call as well. It's um, yeah, yeah, it's a bit. Of a, it's and just a bit. Of a, what it's, I was going to bring up the point as well was the fact that the government are just relying on the Premier League to bail out the whole of the UK in terms of a footballing pyramid. They're not even jumping in to kind of say we're proposing this to try and help you guys out. They're kind of saying Premier League, come on, sort it out because we've got no money. And you're just like, come on, guys, like, it's you that govern what we've got to do. And even the fact of not allowing fans back into the grounds where that could create revenue for clubs right now. I mean, no offence, but as much as League Two and League One clubs might be able to survive, they can't survive a whole year of no revenue. They just can't afford to. And match day revenue is so critical. We're not just talking about merchandise here. We're talking about all sorts of different things that go on. And it's livelihoods as well, because it's jobs, ultimately. It's jobs. Yeah. Well, it goes down to like the tea lady and stuff like that, doesn't it? It's the people in the background that you don't necessarily see on the match day. They'll, they'll be the ones that are affected. I think that, the thing that annoys me is, you know, they keep bleating. We haven't got any money. We haven't got any money. And then suddenly the furlough scheme has been extended to the end of March. They can afford to pay dubious organisations a ton of money on track and trace system, which basically doesn't work. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, I think had we had there been somebody somewhere in the government that had an understanding of sports in general, not just football, because let's be honest, mm. it's all sports that are affected. And it's probably all loads of sports that have gone, well, we've done this, that, and the other to, we've jumped through hoops to make ourselves COVID secure and we're still getting screwed over. Um, yeah, it's, um, I think it's pretty much the same in Scotland, isn't it? It's a bit of a shit show. Yeah, there's the, the SPL, the, the Premier League is, is continuing onwards, but, there are quite a lot of junior teams and, and lower league teams who have decided just to either not play the season or they're starting very, very late um, and they're not getting the support either. It's it's a shame because clubs are, sounds a bit corny, but clubs are the heart of the community and for a lot of people, their club is their entire life um, and they should be protected a bit more and the argument the government should do more, but whether the government stop in terms of you know how much money they can give out, but there has to be, if there's not a support package, there has to be at least some sort of guidance of of how to do this and some planning. Uh, and it feels as though there's going to be a lot of clubs that are going to go and we'll probably never see them again. 
that is a worry, isn't it? And now it does at least nine clubs that said if they weren't supported by the end of November, they were going to collapse. And I don't know if that's still going to happen right now, but yeah, it's worrying. It's absolutely worrying, but also welfare in terms of mentality for our health as well. It's just those games just remind me of playing FIFA where you've got no crowds now. It's just a bit tiresome. I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm just sick and tired of watching empty stadiums now and just no atmosphere at games. And yeah, it's not pleasant, is it? No, not at all. It's um, yeah, it's just you kind of get used to it to a point because you know it's well, we've got this at least to like March, so. That's, yeah, well, that's, that's crazy. That's the other thing. When the government tell you that the furlough scheme is being extended till the end of March, that's a backwards way of saying the lockdown has been extended till then as well. Um, and it's it's terrible watching games with no fans. We beat Celtic two 0 at Parkhead a few weeks ago, and there's nothing I like seeing more than Celtic fans crying for their scarves. And I missed the <laughs> opportunity, so yeah, bring back the fans as quickly as possible, please. Great stuff. Great stuff. So I think we'll move nicely into part three then at this stage. Um, so we're going to all just kind of come together and talk about the big games that are happening this weekend and in particular, any matches that you guys are watching. So um, Craig, let's start with yourself. I know you've got a long list. So um, talk us through them. Yeah, so I just thought, so I end the pod, just chat about some of the games that I've, I've seen that are on TV. So... For Premier League fans, Southampton, Newcastle on Friday night. I like a Friday night game after work, so that's on Sky Sports. Southampton, good start to the season. Newcastle, very hit or miss. Um, Saturday evening, you've got Chelsea, Sheffield United on Sky Sports. Uh, the big one of the weekend, to sort of pick up all the fixtures. Um, the Dare Classica, the, the Dortmund versus Bayern game on, on BT Sports. Uh, won't be the same, obviously, without the yellow wall um, in Dortmund, but a cracking game. Saturday night, you've got Parma versus Fiorentina on Premier Sports, and you've also got PSG versus Rennes. Um, so two Champions League teams going at it. So now that we're all in lockdown and we won't be going anywhere on Saturday night, um, two good games there. Sunday morning game for Hangover Cure, you've got Lazio versus Juventus. So a big game That'll on Premier Sports. Mm. That would be great. Lazio, um, not quite showing the form they did last year. But then again, a Juventus team that I'm not exactly firing either. So I think whichever whichever team loses that game, I think it's definitely a, it's a must lose rather than a, a must win or sorry, a must not lose. Um, Sunday, Spurs versus West Brom um, and Leicester versus Wolves. is a two o'clock game on Sky Sports. Should be good. Another good Italian game. You've got Atalanta versus Inter. Uh, should be good. Before another good game, Man City, Man City versus Liverpool. Um, and then Aston Villa versus Arsenal in the evening. And of course, you've got nine FA Cup ties uh, on iPlayer. So if you are a non-league fan and haven't been able to, to see your team yet this season, there's a good chance to watch them on the iPlayer on BBC. So some absolutely cracking games this weekend, actually. But for me, Lazio versus Juve and Dortmund Bayern are the two big ones, Adam. I thought you were going to talk about maybe Rangers versus Hamilton, personally. But, well, yeah. it's, it's obviously, I mean, I didn't want to be biased. It's, it's the biggest game in Europe this weekend, as <laughs> it is every weekend when Rangers play. But we've got Hamilton at home. Um, it's on Rangers TV, so not a lot of people will be able to watch that. But I'll be watching that on Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock. Um, Celtic are away this weekend. Rangers are at home, so potentially, with a bit of luck, we'll maybe 12 points clear come Sunday evening. 
Yeah, definitely. But yeah, to refer back to your FA Cup, it's FA Cup first round. I picked a few games myself. So um, the ones that I think we're going to see some cup shocks from, and I don't know if you guys are going to agree to this, but FC United versus Doncaster, FC United being the home tie, uh, Port Vale versus Kings Lynn. Now, Kings Lynn, you'd probably go previous years, yeah, nothing to them, but they've actually got promoted through the league. So again, that's a club that I think could stand a chance. Borumwood versus Southend. Southend on the decline. Borumwood in the conference. I fancy Borumwood on that one. Borumwood have got previous as well. They've had a couple. Yeah. Of, they've pulled off some shocks over the past sort of few years. Exactly. Or so. Definitely um, fancy that. Yeah, it's. I think another one as well. You've got Exeter City against AFC Fylde, who nearly got promoted. Yeah. Fylde nearly got promoted last year. Um, yeah. as well. So, a plus uh, Sunderland versus Mansfield Town. In the yeah. first round, like Sunderland think, always, yeah. Sunderland always good for a bit of an embarrassment, and they haven't been in the news for a while. <laughs> so um, I think their time is due. <laughs> so. Yeah, they're definitely overdue one, that's for sure. But I was going to say, actually, one that I fancy: Eastley versus MK Dons. Eastley being from the conference, I think they could actually overturn MK Dons. Yeah, it just depends on the day, doesn't it? Really, or which team turns up, but. Yeah, that's the main ones from the FA Cup that I picked out. I think the and biggest then... game of the round, though, is Ipswich Town versus Portsmouth, like League One versus League One side. Both yeah. both big teams in that division. I think that's like the, the big tie out of that. Potentially. It'll be interesting, but yeah, I they tend to be your draw games. They tend to be your draw games where no one really wins out of that one. But um, just out, out of the other big ones that I saw, Man City versus Liverpool. That's going yeah. to be potentially a good starter to the title championship race. I don't know. We'll see what happens with that one. As Craig alluded to at the beginning, Everton versus Man United. Make yeah. a great time, isn't it, for Ollie? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, United are that bad at the moment. Is that my missus doesn't even like football. I've gone, why do you keep supporting <laughs> a team that always loses? I was like, cheers, love. Um <laughs> So, yeah, but yeah, United obviously playing Everton. Um, on the flip side, if you want to watch Manchester United and not watch awful football, they've got the women's team. Um, now, unlike the men's team, the, the United women's ladies team are fantastically well run. They've got a great manager in Casey Stoney. They've got some good players. Um, they're playing um, Arsenal, who are top of the uh, Women's Super League at the moment. Um, and United are in third place only a couple of points behind. Um, so, on you know, with the, with the ladies, they're really pushing hard this year. Um, so, it's slightly less depressing. So, you know, it's slightly less, de- less depressing than watching the men's team. Um, and I, think, I was looking at some of the fixtures earlier. Obviously, you've got the Classico, as uh, Craig mentioned as well. So, um, you know, I sure it'd be semi-entertaining to watch Schalke continue to be shite. Um, so yeah, I think I've, I would be, um, mildly content or wallowing in, wallowing in pity into a beer by the end of, um, Sunday. Interesting. Interesting. And, um, just put out there, we can play their next six pointer. Uh, they've got forest away. Um, and that's interesting. If we win, we actually go above forest and, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tight game. Is there going to be a Wiccan game? Chris as well. Is there going to be a Wiccan game this season that isn't a six-pointer? 
Um, I don't know. I think we've already played all of the main ones. But yeah, well, no, honestly. Ford is not good on the question, no. This is it. That's what I mean. Yeah. So I, I don't expect them to be there, but then I didn't expect Derby to be below Wickham. That's the thing, right? So, um, yeah, it's one of those. I think Chris Hewton will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season, though, um, because I think there's a lot worse teams in that championship. Um, you guys probably will say Wickham, but yeah, <laughs> I think we'll we'll be all right. We'll be safe. We'll be fine. But no, I'm quite looking forward to those um, Italia games. I think uh, Lazio versus Juve, especially given Pirlo's start to Juve. Um, and Craig, you've probably seen a few of the Juventus games since they've started. Um, what do you make of Pirlo so far? It's, it's a mixed start, but it's it's not to be unexpected. So the reason that Allegri was mutually asked to leave was that they wanted to move away from this very sort of stagnant um, bastardry, 1-1-0, 1-2-1, boring football, sort of win-at-all-costs style. And that's why they went to Maurizio Sarri um, to try and bring in sort of Sarri ball and, and make the football more creative because you know, Juventus have won eight or nine titles in a row. And when you win eight titles in a row, the fans get bored and they want better football and they want to perform better in the Champions League. And Sarri was supposed to bring that and the football actually got worse under Sari, so yeah it uh, did <laughs> so they, they got rid of Sari, and now the, the theory is let's bring in pure law someone who knows the club understands the culture of the club knows what they want to do uh, but there are teething problems and for Juventus fans winning the league is is bread and butter there's no this is there's not acceptable to not win the league and it'll be really really interesting to see that if they get beat on on Sunday morning and another couple of results don't go their way um, they're not performing particularly well in the Champions League. Um, it'd be interesting to see how long he gets, whether he sees the season out. Um, it'd be quite interesting to see, but it's not been a, a great start from Juventus by any stretch. But you can see what they're trying to do. It's just not quite there yet. I think he'll get a bit more time because he is Pirlo. Um, you know, he's got he, he's already got a bit more credit in the bank, let's say like an outsider like Sari would. Um, it's, but it's that classic case of... Um, of being a fantastic footballer, but it's how you translate that into coaching it into other players. Um, you know, I think one one person that's uh, been caught on video finding it quite hard was Thierry Henry. <laughs> 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 that was, I don't know whether you guys saw it, but there was a video of him on Twitter. He's a manager of Montreal Impact um, in the MLS. And um, he was there shouting and hollering and, you know, struggling to... Con- it looked like he was really struggling to understand why yeah. these guys who are paid a couple of grand a week can't play football. <laughs> so, I think he wanted to be on the pitch. Let's put it that way. He wanted yeah. to be the one on the pitch. But, yeah, uh, no, it's. Yeah. Um, I mean, moving on to MLS slightly, uh, they've got their decision day, uh, which is basically will dictate who goes into the playoffs and things like that. Um, if you're like me, who's a bit of a night owl, that's usually up to about 2am. Uh, that could make for some interesting viewing. It's, uh, so who's the teams really we should look out for from the MLS? So you've got, I mean, in terms of the, um, obviously, who could be creeping into the playoffs like last minute, you've got DC United. Um, and I was talking about um, last night on a separate thing. Um, you know, you've got, but you've got the likes of like Inter Miami, who are famously backed by um, David Beckham and co, who have had quite a poor season by their standards. 
Um, Atlanta have been there. You know, there's a lot of unexpected teams at the moment, like Nashville. Like they've come in as an expansion team with an absolute minimum budget, really, um, and they're sort of relatively comfortable in the playoffs. You've got uh, you've got teams like Philadelphia, um, Columbus at the top ends, really. So it's quite it's been quite. Um, interesting, obviously, on the Western Conference as well. It's a bit more standard. You've got Seattle near the top and Portland. So yeah, I think it'll be um, entertaining if you um, and if you are if you do happen to be up at about midnight. Um, it's the decision day, as they call it, is usually chaos. And just for the benefit of listeners, um, so what happens once they get through? Is it a knockout or what so basically in each? So they have like the Western Conference and Eastern Conference, like we do in other American sports. Uh, so basically, like the top um, the top six teams in the Eastern Conference will go automatically into the main MLS Cup playoffs. It's a bit like we do in Belgium. Is that you know the top part part of the table they go into a separate playoffs. They pl- they draw as if it was a cup competition, and if you get to the final, and you win, you count, you crown champion. So you have like a supporter shield if you're like the regular season uh, champion, so to speak. But it's all about the MLS Cup. So hypothetically, you could finish ninth or tenth in your conference, get through like a wild card playoff, get all the way through to the final, win it. Um, it's a bit of a weird concept over here, but um, yeah, over there it's quite normal. So it's um, it's different. I think um, yeah, the MLS um, is a lot better in standard than it was a few years ago. So yeah, you do get you do see some good football. Craig, would you fancy that in the Scottish league? We do something slightly <laughs> similar. So um, the Scottish League does split after 33 games. So there's 12 teams, you play each other three times, and then after the 33 games, it splits to a championship group and a relegation group. In the last five games of the season, the top six teams play each other and the bottom six play each other. So the splits there, I don't. I was, I was kind of in my head thinking that sounds shit. Uh, because I don't like a scenario where uh, eight or nine place team can get anywhere, anywhere near a title but it's geared up like the, so the NFL or, or the NBA where it's to drive maximum excitement and that's you know one thing they do get right Americans is is the excitement in their sports and, and the kind of buzz around it so you know maybe it's got some legs but I don't fancy I don't fancy an 80 place team playing playing championship football to be honest yeah, no, it sounds a bit like that big picture topic that we covered off Andy and the relegation spot that they were trying to introduce. But yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm glad that it didn't happen. So um, yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you, listener, for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it and really enjoyed the actual talk as well. And uh, we look forward to invite you to the next episode, which is next Friday. Yay, international edition. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.